Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Today we're talking all about preconception, which is the period of time before trying for a baby. And we are both very passionate about this topic. And we asked our medical advisor to come on today and talk about it with us. I love the preconception period. I'm always talking to Yasmin about how much I adore this period of time because my husband and I were getting ready to start trying for my baby Leela. It was a time where I got to focus on myself and my health for a second and think about the world and the life I wanted to create for my baby. And it was just, it felt like a very feminine flowing time. I was listening to my body. I felt more intuitive. And I actually read a book at that time called Awakening Fertility, which is one of my favorite books. And they talk about how precious this time can be. And I want to share a quote from that book. In the noise of the modern life, we lose something. Our ability to tap into our inner wisdom, which is a primary aspect of feminine consciousness. When we're able to de-excite and experience our essential nature, we're able to tune back into wisdom and trust the subtle signals that nature is giving us. And I thought that really encompassed that period of time for me to just stop with the busyness, stop with pushing myself, stop with over-caffeinating and under-sleeping, and just give myself a moment to really be back in my body. And I'm wondering, Yasmin, you know, after this conversation we had for Karina, what came up for you? What did you find interesting about this? Oh, there's so many things. And Kaya, that quote is so beautiful. And I think, you know, even for anyone who's listening right now, who's not even in the preconception phase, so much of what you said and so much of what we talk about in this interview is just good for overall health, overall mental health. You know, even before Drew and I even started thinking about kids in our life, it was always something that I wanted to be better at. It's like really being in tune with my body, not going so hard, which is my, you know, more normal DNA and just like honoring what I feel and having more joy and incorporating more rest because I think so many of us can just keep going all the time. So Karina is also my medical doctor and I just think it's a good reminder for so many of us whether you want to have a kid or not. But another part that really stood out, which I'm like, we need to talk more about this is so much of fertility falls on women and men are 50, okay? I'm gonna say 50% of the equation and I'm just like mind blown that I definitely didn't know that until I started thinking about this and we were having conversations. So that was actually super, super interesting. We talk all about that today and how men and women can prepare their bodies before pregnancy and improve both their egg and sperm quality. So in this week's episode, we're talking to Dr. Karina Dunlap. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor and women's health and hormone specialist. She is the creator of Health by Design, a deeply personalized women's healthcare program and the Healthy Hormones Method, a transformation framework for women. She specializes in the treatment of conditions that range from irregular periods to PMS, thyroid imbalances, endometriosis, pelvic pain, and menopause. And she is an internationally recognized expert in natural fertility optimization and women's health at all stages of life. She just released a new course called Preconception by Design, which is all about getting ready to have a baby. It's for women and men, and we're talking all about that today. So let's get into it. 
Today we're talking about preconception, which is the period of time before one gets pregnant. And this is a really exciting topic for both Yasmin and myself because we are thinking about babies. I'm thinking about baby number two. Yasmin is thinking about baby number one. And I'm about to be 37 in December and Yasmin is about to be 35 in December. So we just want to hear what advice you have for people who are in our age range, because typically once you hit 35, you hear a lot of funny things like geriatric pregnancy and it's going to be difficult and don't get your hopes up. So what do you say to people who are in a situation like us? I think that the a great place to start the conversation is really with that idea of let's not get our hopes up because so many couples trying to conceive at any age, we can really quickly get into a fear mindset where we so many things, especially when we really deeply desire something, so many things can seem like an obstacle to us being able to have that thing that we desire. And especially when it comes to biological, something biological or deeply, deeply rooted in our, in our biology, um, we can quickly get into that part of the brain that's, that there's a place of fear. So I think this term, let's not get our hopes up, or even the thought we're just going to, we're going to start trying, but not really officially trying or not trying not to conceive and just kind of this like soft approach. It's nice, but at the same time, I think what it also sets people up for is maybe not really fully giving it their all in terms of the preconception timeline. And the preconception timeline is critical at any age or stage, but I think even especially at that you know, we talk a lot about that age, 35 years of age and older when, yes, a lot of changes are happening to both the quantity and the quality of egg health when we're talking about egg health, but same for sperm health. So when we talk about sperm health, a lot changes as sperm as the, the person who's who has the sperm gets older. So it's it's just really interesting when this is such a big decision and such an impactful decision in our lives to be able to do everything we can to prepare is so important. And even though we know we can't control everything, why not just try to do as much as we can, not putting so much pressure on ourselves that we experience crazy amounts of stress, but really just to do everything that we feel we can to set ourselves up for something that the best possible outcome. Yeah. And what I find so empowering Karina, and I know, you know, Karina's an advisor here at BIA and she is working with me through my preconception phase and kind of, you know, going through it, even uh, when Drew and I and my husband just started thinking about, okay, at some point in the future, we want to start quote unquote, I guess, trying. And what I felt like was so empowering was there is so much that we can do in our life to just set us up for more of a success. You know, I live, you know, as everybody probably on the podcast knows, like I've lived such a stressful life at work. I'm quote unquote older. There's a lot of things that I would think would go against me, but just obviously knowing you, knowing the work that you do, it just felt very empowering for me to be like, you know what, none of that matters. And it's all about what can I do today to set me up for success in the future? So maybe we can talk about that and then go into the sperm asset. Cause I definitely feel like we don't talk enough about the men. So, but let's start with what we can do kind of starting today to set us up for um, success. Sure. So one of the best things that I ever did was to become more informed. I went to my OBGYN, you know, thinking about conceiving. They basically said, take a prenatal, let's get your pap done and all that. Okay, great. But what else? You know, I knew there was much more and I understand there's only so much we can talk about in a that kind of clinic setting, but I just knew there was so much more I could do. So I actually did talk to my naturopathic doctor at the time and I said, okay, I want to do more. So what can we do? What can we test for? How can I learn more about myself through this process? And I learned so 
much. And not only am I talking about like my own person, like, but it's, it always blows me away. Cause I, you know, I'll start working with a patient or a couple who are thinking about conceiving and they're thinking about their timeline. They might be on a six to six month to a year timeline or shorter, or maybe longer. And they want to get to know what's, what's going on for them. Maybe they're not feeling unwell. They feel generally healthy and we start to dig and it's not like we're looking for problems, but really we are looking for things that could, could potentially impact the health of future children and the health of themselves over time. And it's wild how much we actually discover. I mean, through my journey, personally, I discovered that I had hypothyroidism, non-autoimmune hypothyroidism that could definitely impact the health um, and neurological health of my baby, as well as increase my likelihood for, for miscarrying. So that was huge, as well as change and affect my cycles. How often would, would I be ovulating? How effective would I be able to get pregnant You know, at the age of 35 and, and older? So I got that under control. And then I learned that I had quite a bit of uh, mercury toxicity. So I went through actually a whole chelation pro protocol. I never would have learned those things. Now, if I had gotten pregnant with high levels of mercury, gotten pregnant with uh, uncontrolled hypothyroidism, there could have been major problems. I might have missed my chance to have my now very healthy girls, you know. I'm not saying that we can control everything because we know we cannot, but we can absolutely do our best to dig in and do everything we can to look for anything that could be a hurdle. And then once we go through that journey, it feels, you know, there's something really, there's something really soothing about knowing that you have done everything you can. And then mm -hmm. just, and then also like leaving the rest up to the universe, really just saying like, okay, you know, I did everything I can in, in the way that I could with what I am capable of doing. It might not have been everything, but I did what I could. I became informed. And then, and then the rest, you know, I'd like to see what happens. And because really, truly, when we're envisioning growing a family or having a family, the last thing we're envisioning is having children or, or child with a chronic disease or for us to become sick through the process too. And we know that a lot of things are avoid avoidable. Um, you know, the, the truly um, genetics play only a small part of that. In, in fact, we can really have a difference. And this is where it comes, like I get most excited because as a naturopathic doctor, this is our medicine. This is like the epitome of preventative care. If we can impact the health of future people before they can see are conceived, It's like, that's just where it's at. I mean, when we think about even doing the work preconception with somebody who has eggs or who has sperm, we know that if they become pregnant with a, with a, um, a baby with eggs, for example, we're impacting also like that many generations as well. So wow. it's, it's very, you know, it's very fulfilling. And sometimes I'll have patients come in who are postpartum. They've been postpartum for years, you know, and they've had issues or, you know, concerns ever since a pregnancy or maybe their kiddos have had issues. And sometimes I'm thinking to myself, I wish I had met you six months to a year before you conceived. Like what, would, what could we have done in that timeline? I want to talk about this idea of the biological clock because mm -hmm. something you said earlier really struck a chord with me where you said that males get older, their sperm quality also declines. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I think we all think that, okay, um, a man can get a woman pregnant or whoever pregnant until they're, the day they die and it's all good. <laughs> But um, it's 50% of the equation, right? And oh, commonly we're seeing more and more now that it's maybe not necessarily on the woman. It might be something going on with the man. 
So I want to hear a little bit more about this because I think so much of the burden falls on us women and it's Mm -hmm. nice to talk about like, oh, there's somebody else involved here too. The current narrative around fertility in general all too often focuses on the woman as her responsibility, you know, to become pregnant, to stay pregnant, to deliver a healthy baby. When in fact, not only is this unfair and biased, this is scientifically incorrect. So we know when couples are having trouble conceiving, it is a 50, 50% chance that it is a, I, I like to use the term egg factor or sperm factor, even though we know that there are many more things that can occur than egg. There's uterine, there's cervical, there's all sorts of other things, but I I use those to degender it, those terms. But we know that it is pretty much a 50-50% split between what is termed male or female factor when, when things are not going as planned. We also know that as sperm, so we talk a lot about egg aging and egg health and quality decline, but sperm quality also declines. It's a slightly different timeline. We think 45, 50 years of age typically, and it's it's starting to be developed in the research more, but typically for men and older, we see increased rates of chronic disease in little ones with older sperm. So with if we're comparing that to say younger sperm, same age egg. So it is really interesting and there is there's more information coming up but basically the truth of the matter is it takes healthy sperm and healthy egg to make a healthy embryo period hey everyone it's yasmin here in 2020 i was struggling with some debilitating health stuff i just got off birth control and suddenly i had acne mood swings breast tenderness and really painful periods i tried so many things but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling i know you're probably thinking thinking seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to beawellness.com. And that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. We need to talk more about this because I feel like, you know, even with me knowing that being in this space is 50% egg, 50% sperm or egg quality and 50% sperm, it's, I still felt pressure when I even thought about, oh, okay, Drew and I are ready to go into this phase of our life. Just even though I know it's 50% men, but I just think we need to talk more about it because it's so, so key. So if somebody's listening right now, Karina, and they're like, all right, like I know it's important for both me and my partner to start living a healthier life. What are maybe some of the top three most basic things that they can start doing today? What I like to think about and contextualize is like, let's think about our external environment and let's think about our internal environment. On the aspect of our external environment, there is a whole lot that can become a hurdle to conceiving. So we know that, for example, environmental toxicants, although Although it's being talked about more, it's still not being talked about enough. We see overall a huge decline in not only sperm quality and uh, motility and morphology, which is the shape of the sperm. We were seeing that decline over the past 20 years exponentially, in fact, and suspect in so many cases that it, it is influenced by 
in a large part, the environmental toxicants that we're so easily exposed to now. And same for egg quality and even egg quantity. And also a lot of these toxicants are termed endocrine disruptors, meaning hormone disruptors. So not only we're we talking about like those gametes or those reproductive cells that they're impacting, but how they're impacting all the processes that are needed for sperm and egg to meet really like the thyroid has to be working super well, blood sugar and insulin need to be in good shape. Our, our actual hormones that are produced by a growing egg need to be able to be received and not um, be influenced by endocrine disruptors. So external environment, really examining the in, in, environmental influences. And also like, what are we taking? What kind of medications or supplements even even botanicals, are they getting in the way of our fertility? Or are they not quite the right fit? Or are they contaminated themselves? That's a big question too. Mm. Or are we using things like lubricants that are not quite, if we're in a hetero relationship and, and are, they, are they not quite sperm safe lubricants or something? You know, there are a lot of, a lot of things to dis discuss in terms of the external environment. When we're thinking about the internal environment, we want to think about our own bodily processes, maybe uh, there are existing health conditions that we want to ex explore and start to work on. Some of the top two when it comes to egg health it, are thyroid and PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, as those can influence the top reason why people with eggs have trouble getting pregnant or ovulating. Um, is it's, it's ovulation is the top top number one reason when folks have trouble conceiving is, is ovulatory dysfunction. So if we can examine anything that could be influencing the internal environment, influencing the likelihood for us to be able to ovulate, have regular healthy cycles, and then of course, things like nutrition, diet, internal influences, um, also including things like stress, which we know is a big one too. What's so cool about everything you're saying is that whether or not you want to have a child in the near future, these are all principles we talk about a lot about just overall good health. So it's just very motivating to do all this stuff now, even if you're not thinking about having kids anytime soon. But I'm curious for someone who's like, all right, I'm going to you know, sign up for your course. I'm going to learn more about how to get me and my husband's nutrition or partner's nutrition better, how long does it take for your egg quality to improve and also sperm quality to improve? So for eggs, they go from a primordial or a very baby state to a fully mature state over the course of an entire year. But in the final three to six months, there's a huge ramp up. And in fact, there are a bunch of different follicles or the sacs that are holding the eggs, there are a bunch of different follicles competing to be that one to release an egg every month. And during that last three to six months, we have a much bigger influence on the health of the egg and all of the fluid and nutrition and things like that that contribute to the health of that, of that egg that's being released. So I really like to focus on the full year, what we call follicular genesis is the maturation process of the egg, but especially in the last three to six months, if we want to make a big, big influence. And actually in the research, we see that too. So when we're studying natural therapies or non-natural th or conventional therapies, medications and things like that, that influence the health of someone's fertility, you'll often see time points checked at baseline and then three months and then six months. And that, that three month window is per precisely because of that folliculogenesis or in sperm health, 
the spermatogenesis or the development of sperm. So it's sperm turnover about every, every, it's a three month window, pretty much. So it's a shorter window for sperm, but three to six months, we, we like to think about we're influencing the, the health of the sperm. And my colleague, Dr. Korn, who is a, this is his thing in fertility and hormonal health in um, how it influences sperm. It's really exciting. So he'll be speaking during the course all about how to influence that sperm health. I remember when I was thinking about getting pregnant the first time, and I was talking to um, my boss, Dr. Mark Hyman, and I said, I pro- I'm thinking about like six six months from now. The next six months, I really want to just dial in. I probably spent about a year, which I know is like very intense, but this is my <laughs> like world. I'm in it. I'm saturated yeah. in it. So it felt exciting to me. But I spent about a year getting ready and then six months like really ramping it up. And I said, what would you recommend? And he said, you got to get all of your, like, get all of your vitamins and minerals up. Just get like, you know, get all of your nutrient density up. And so obviously a big part of that is, and then, you know, look at environmental toxins, look at mercury, look at all of that. But he was like, you want to just be getting like the highest amount of nutrition right now. So a big part of that is a prenatal, but what does a nutrient dense diet actually look like? Yeah. So nutrient dense diet, I often just go to the the super basics, but I think it gets really confusing, like what those basics are. And people are constantly coming in and saying like, what does that mean? And Dr. Hyman talks about this all the time, right? How, how hard it is to determine that, but let's focus on really good balance and not skipping meals to start with. You know, I don't, this preconception time is not a time to do a lot of intermittent fasting, in my opinion, or um, to be skipping meals and setting ourselves up for intense spikes or dips in our blood sugar, for example. So really focusing on getting the day started with some good protein and fiber and fats. It's like, and then color, you know, lots of fiber, fats, protein, and color. Like that's those four basics in every single meal. And then not skipping meals are pretty, that's a pretty good place to to focus. Focusing on, on things that are less packaged. So, you know, you're really getting to those whole foods and then really setting ourselves up for um, good blood sugar balance throughout the day. So if we're setting ourselves up in the morning with a good amount of protein, and and then we know we're building in some color or some fiber with that meal, we're gonna set ourselves up right away for good balance over the course of the day. And then if we're making sure we're not we're not skipping our lunch and we're not pushing past that, you know, being so busy and skipping that, then it, that's a really good good um, place to focus too. And then in terms of like in the toxicant um, exposure, really focusing on organic as much as possible when it comes to, but if we are, if we're budgeting and, you know, focusing on avoiding the dirty dozen is a great place to start. So those are the kinds of things that I like to, to mention. Um, of course, Bia seeds, of course, like we have to talk about Bia because Bia is amazing and it's something we developed, you know, to help um, are, it, it's just something that's so nice because you can add it in so quickly into the day, increase your fiber, increase your nutrient density and, and add that in the morning or in the, in the middle of the day. But it's like such a nice compliment to all of this because it's such food as medicine and it can set us up for great cycles and it can set us up for some of those really rich antioxidants um, delivery. So, you know, lots of color, the rainbow, it's and lots of diversity, 30 to 40 different types of plants or um, different fiber types or types of plants throughout a week, really changing up the things we're eating, at least like for lunch and dinner, maybe consistent breakfast. So it makes it easy for you in the morning. And then uh, making sure you're getting enough protein in the morning and then throughout the day and less less processed is best. Yeah. I, I also want to um, ask quickly, because something that I've heard some women say in the past is that they're really not looking forward to giving up 
alcohol and marijuana while they're pregnant. And I pause because I say, well, giving it up when you're pregnant, how about giving it up before you get pregnant? Because these things can actually really impact both the sperm and the eggs. Can you talk about this? Yeah, of course. So while the research is constantly being developed, what we know about alcohol and how it impacts egg health versus sperm health is different. We know that the threshold for tolerability in terms of the amount of drinks per week and how that changes or influences fertility for egg health is there's a smaller or lower threshold. So more than two drinks throughout the actually, this is in the research, but more than two drinks per day can greatly decrease time to menopause, which tells us greatly decrease not only the number of eggs that are going through their natural kind of death cycle, but influence that probably the quality of eggs as well. It can increase the rate of infertility by 60%. So that's two drinks per day for, for, uh, for egg health. But it's, I like to say, you know, let's focus on where the research is. We know a lot about like cancer research, especially around, you know, how, how alcohol impacts our antioxidant levels and our likelihood to develop things like cancer. So we especially breast cancer. So I like to start there for, for egg health. I say, you know, two drinks are less per week, but also let's examine why we're drinking to begin with and, and maybe practice this, like use this time to say, what else can I do? If it's something I'm using to wind down, what else can I do? You know, what, what is it that makes me want to drink? And is there something else that I can try to bring in just, just as a practice? Um, because they're really during pregnancy, there still truly is no safe amount of alcohol. So if you're already headed in that direction, start practicing now, set yourself up for the maximum chance of being able to not have anything inhibit the fertility or decrease our chance of being able to conceive again, like I said. And also alcohol is really intense on the body. It is very intense for the liver. And so if the liver is bogged down by any amount of alcohol, And as we consume less, our body has trouble even breaking it down even more because we decrease the amount of enzyme available to break down alcohol. So even if we're drinking very little, just a little bit can make a difference for us. So it's interesting, you know, the alcohol conversation is very multifactorial and layered. I like to just think about it as practice, like we're practicing just not having it during our pregnancy. So practice now, give yourself that three to six month window. Like you, like you were saying, really increase your nutrient density and your body really focus on that and, and really ramp it down when it comes to drinking and alcohol. When it comes to things like marijuana, so THC, just in general, the THC research is interesting. We know that for egg health, it can greatly impact cycle health. It can impact oxidative stress, increase oxidative stress for the eggs and the sperm and increase DNA damage to the egg. So again, what is the amount? That is a bit unclear, but we know that there can be an impact. So again, practicing, why do I need this? What am I using it for? Are there other ways? Because if that's the kind of pregnancy we want to have and the chance of conceiving the healthiest baby or babies possible, you know, just, it's a good time to start reflecting on that. Now, a question that came up, caffeine, what are your thoughts about caffeine intake in preconception time and during pregnancy? This is clearly one that I'm very personally curious about. So (laughs) tell me, tell me the the realness around it. Okay. I'm going to break it down in like, here's the research and then here's what I think. Um, Okay. (laughs) So 
So in terms of the research, about 200 to 250 milligrams or less per day when you're in preconception and then in a pregnancy itself is what's recommended. Uh, so, but here's what I see, <laughs> you know, there are people who handle caffeine better than others. There are con constitutions who do better with caffeine than others. If you're somebody who gets really wound up from caffeine, any form, whether that's tea or coffee, maybe examine also if there's an opportunity here to start winding that down. Because maybe other things are happening mm -hmm. when we're wound up from that, those stimulants. Like maybe it's impacting our sleep, for example, which is critical for the health of the egg. So what I really think about it, you know, in terms of outside of what's actually in the research is caffeine has an energetic imprint. Different caffeine types have different forms of energetic imprints. We know that, for example, coffee as a plant, as a botanical, is more depleting than, for example, green tea. And for a lot of people, they feel different. You know, some people will drink green tea and say, I don't get and that might be because of the L-theanine in there. That might be because of other aspects and antioxidants are in green tea, but maybe they, with coffee, they might not feel, they feel a little bit more like they stole from tomorrow what they didn't have for today. Kind of that idea. I know I certainly feel different when I drink coffee versus drinking green tea. So I think examining like how your body handles different forms of caffeine, if it's even necessary, if you haven't even taken a break from it, you know, at ever maybe examine, like, could I take a break and actually get an idea and kind of gauge what my energy truly is. I remember my, I had an Ayurvedic doctor at one point who told me to straight up, just go off of all caffeine. And I did for a long time. And I really, you know, I think it was nice to just know when I was actually tired from being tired from other things outside of maybe a, a spike or dip in the caffeine, right? So it's, I think it's a good opportunity to start thinking, what is the energetic imprint? And then I think there's an energetic imprint during a pregnancy too. Personally, this is, this is my bias, right? So I, I am somebody who does not do great with too much caffeine at all. Like I'm not somebody who has ever been able to have too much of it. And so during my pregnancy, I just stayed off of it. But I, and it, but it's, it is safe in pregnancy to have to a certain extent. But for me, it was like, I know if I get really jittery like this, I'm sharing that blood flow with the growing, you know, growing fetus. Like, I don't want the, <laughs> I don't want to share that kind of same, like, it doesn't feel so settling in, into my nervous system. And, mm -hmm. and so I think about that piece. Yeah. I felt the same way, actually. I was happy that my body rejected coffee for me when I was pregnant. Like I just felt nauseous. I felt like, you know, crazy when I would drink it. And I was like, okay, I don't even have a taste for it, which is kind of nice Yeah. Um, <laughs> during pregnancy. And I felt the same way that anything that's like ramping up my heart rate, making me yeah. feel a little bit off track, like my baby's going to feel that too. Yeah. And I don't, you know, we can't control everything that our baby feels like we don't want to. And you know, life happens, but we can do our best for sure. I'm wondering, you know, in your opinion, how long should a couple be trying before they seek out help? Okay. So I like to reverse that question a little bit. Like let's go ahead and do a deep dive in this preconception period. Do a lot of the uncovering that typically is kept until three, six months or a year down the road of trying and having trouble conceiving, let's do a lot of that work in advance. So maybe in advance, we get a semen analysis, maybe in advance, we get some of our basic labs completed. And then if we want to do a deeper dive, we can do a deeper dive too. But standard of care recommendations are if you are 35 years of age or younger, waiting a year until of trying until you 
officially go un undergo like a full investigation. And that includes imaging and that includes lab work. And then 35 years of age to 39, it's the six month period or, or more um, having trouble conceiving. And then after 40, it's a much shorter timeline. And those timelines change depending on if we have a known medical condition that can influence our chances of conceiving like endometriosis, for example, or PCOS. So, or maybe we've had a history of being treated for cancer. We have a chemo therapy exposure or something else big in our kind of medical history, then that timeline may change. But I like to kind of reverse it and think, let's do a lot of advanced discovery. And then, and then there are layers to add in farther along down the road if, if people are still having trouble. I love that actually, because I think that not that preconception time should seem like a chore. It should be very, as much as it can be a joyful time. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not, hopefully it is for most people. But I, I love that because I think so often people are told, just try for a year, do everything that you're doing now and just try for a year and then we'll look into stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a whole year that, you know, they could be working on nutrition or getting their toxins down or looking into thyroid or mm -hmm. seeing if there's something actually deeper going on inside the body. So I love this reframe of like, let's get all the information first and work on it. And then if we need to dig deeper, we can, which is, I think a lot of what your course is about. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and we're talking about not only making this transition into the, the timeline of when we're trying to conceive and then hopefully being able to conceive more easily on a timeline that we're hopeful for. And also once we have a child or children that we set ourselves up for being the healthiest parents we can on the other end, right? So if we're doing this, this work in advance, we're hopefully setting ourselves up for, and in my opinion, yes, healthier kiddos. And from what I've seen, yes, in my practice, so many healthy kiddos, which is wonderful. I don't think it's like just by chance, but we're working on that in advance work. And then we you know, having, having our kiddos being healthier parents too, to be able to show up as the kind of parents we want in the long run. I think it's, you know, getting, getting as much. And, and I realize this whole thing, there's so much that comes with it, right? There is, whether you are somebody who has been trying for a while, who has had trouble conceiving, maybe you've been through pregnancy loss, maybe you've been through multiple pregnancy loss. And some of the stories that I hear are just traumatic, you know? And mm -hmm. so I understand this idea, like, let's give ourselves put, let's give ourselves grace. Let's not put so much pressure on ourselves. That's not the goal here at all. The goal is really to, for people to feel informed, empowered through, the, through the information, not to, and, in, and really what helped me feel less stressed is just being informed, like take one foot, put it in front of the other, do what you can know that you did what you can. And the rest is kind of just up to something else, quite honestly, but I just, I think, yeah, I think it brings up a lot because it's, it, everybody's journey is quite different and, um, mm -hmm. and we're not all set up with the same circumstances. So and that's not always our choice or our ability to control, but, you know, inform information is, is empowerment and it's a hundred percent the case. It's so true. And I will admit before I was informed and working with you and learning more and asking Kaya questions and understanding, it definitely felt like a chore. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, like my day to day, some days are very overwhelming. And now we're just, and I'm trying to just like have three meals a day. And now I'm thinking about, oh gosh, what do I need to do? Like, do I have to go to an acupuncturist? Do I have to do this? And I remember scheduling time with you and us just kind of talking and working through it. And I truly felt like as I was more informed, which you mentioned a few times, and I just want to underscore that 
it really has given me a sense of like peace and the anxiety piece is no longer there. And it, it truly doesn't feel like a chore. So I'm just sharing that if anybody who is listening is like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to keep my health in place. And now I have to think about this because it can seem very overwhelming, but just learning what you can do is very helpful. And, you know, a lot of people also reach out to us about what lab test should she get? Should they get? And I think, you know, once we did my own labs, I was like, oh, okay, I feel just very comforted, right? Knowledge is power. So what would you recommend to someone who's listening, who's like, all right, what, where do I even start when it comes to labs, just to kind of see um, my overall health? Yeah, that's so focusing on that internal environment, seeing where what, what our status is now. I feel like there there are two layers. So there's a kind of a more ba- like not basic, but a comprehensively basic layer. And then there's a diving deeper. And and depending on resources, you know, this is why I like to break it up like this. Here's like the more important test to get started with. And then there's a diving deeper. So the more important test to get started with would be understanding what your hormone profile is. You know, are you ovulating? Trying to figure that out. Getting a very extensive thyroid panel, and I'm talking about egg health, and, and this also applies to sperm health too. But um, looking to see what the blood sugar and insulin are doing. Looking to see what the comprehensive uh, metabolic panel and comprehensive blood work for your your immune cells, seeing if you have any forms of anemia, any vitamin, straight up vitamin deficiencies, things like even vitamin D, you know, can influence the health of a growing child and their even bone health and immune health. So a growing embryo, so, and influence our cycle. So there are a lot of things that we can get on like a more comprehensively basic level and just start there. Um, and then also the diving deeper, I get excited about diving deeper always, of course, cause I just know what comes up from this work. Uh, but you know, it's, it's all a matter of like, okay, here's what I can do. I know I can do this. This works with my budget, the other stuff, you know, I'm going to have to just like, it's okay. Um, the other things diving deeper might be like a more comprehensive look at our antioxidant status, our fatty acid levels, toxicant exposures on based on labs. And that might look like a metals test, urine and blood things like mercury and and lead very much can influence the health of a growing fetus, a gut microbiome test, uh, looking to see if there's any celiac or non-celiac gluten sensitivity. We know in cases of unexplained infertility or subfertility, that can play a role. So, you know, if that, and if that's influencing your body's ability to absorb nutrients and vitamins, it makes sense to do that workup. Uh, And that can be, that one can be done through insurance for a lot of for a lot of folks. So the, and then of course there's genetic testing too, you know, my, that is standard of care to offer. So if, if we want to do a genetic test to see what's going on, is there any likelihood we're carrying a recessive genetic trait that might influence the health of our, of our offspring, then let's, let's look at that. Um, so there's a, yeah, the more basic labs and then there's a going deeper and a lot of the like comprehensively basic can be run through insurance. And then, and then there, are, there is a hormone that you can check to see what your egg reserve is if you're interested. And then, of course, semen analysis. And a lot of these same labs that I just mentioned do apply to sperm health. So definitely looking at the labs. And I just want to, I want to reiterate what you were saying about just having like this, I kind of the anxiety relieved because anxiety is such a big part of this journey and can be, I think, for most, I think most every single person that goes through it at some point, most of them experience some level of, unless it's like, it was just almost accidental or they got, they got pregnant on the first try and they weren't really thinking about, it. okay, so 
there is this piece to address. And I do think that having a plan in place, just kind of walking through the motions, putting one step in front of the other, looking ahead and saying, if we are trying and we're not pregnant by this time, then the next step would be this and kind of laying it out. Like, here's a good plan. If, you know, we get pregnant with this time, like, great. If we don't, here's the next step. And I did want to mention that I have an amazing colleague, friend, uh, Dr. Shruti Mahangaya, who is a, uh, works at Harvard Medical School. She, she's also at um, Mass General Health as a reproductive endocrinologist, and and we're and there will be an interview with her that is part of the course that she'll talk about what it looks like through the process of how you know how much does it cost and what does it look like at those next stages if you're thinking about freezing your mm-hmm. eggs or sperm or going through IVF what does it look like what and what are some tips that I can take just to prepare my mind if that is is going to come I I think though that generally speaking most people are thinking, okay, I'm trying. And then if I'm not trying, I'm going to IVF. But I feel like there's also this really big in-between space that's just not being talked about enough. So that's what we're doing. Dr. Korn and I, Dr. Korn is also a fertility and hormone specialist as well as myself. He is, uh, will be talking and teaching all about sperm optimization and overall sperm health and uh, body health for optimal sperm. And, and then I'll be focusing on the egg health part, but it's really nice to be co-teaching with somebody who actually has sperm and who really focuses on that part. That's so awesome, Karina. I feel like, you know, Yasmin and I talk a lot about how we are both workaholics. I think we're all like women who love to work. We love to serve others. And it can feel really hard sometimes to invest time in taking care of yourself. And so- For me, what was really empowering about the preconception time was that I wasn't just thinking about myself. I was thinking about a baby. And so this was the only time in my life where I was like, I don't feel guilty for putting in all of this investment into myself. And I know that shouldn't be the case. Like we should want to invest in our own health, but sometimes it's really hard for a certain personality. So I know it can feel like a very stressful period of time, but as much as this is a time about getting pregnant, it's also a time to take care of your body, your partner's body, to really look into your health, to really set the foundation for great health. So if anybody's interested in this course, tell us a little bit more about it. When does it start? How do they enroll? Who's it a good fit for? So it's starting very, very soon. In fact, doors have opened at the, the when this, when this conversation airs, doors will have opened. Basic, it's called preconception by design. It is for individuals or partners. It is for people planning to conceive someday in the future. For people who are struggling to conceive now, it is for people considering freezing their eggs or sperm. It is the, it's a six week course that is both recorded lessons and that you can watch anytime. And then live Q and A's, we have several different experts we're bringing on a nutritionist we have a uh, an environmental health expert and then a reproductive endocrinologist to talk all about reproductive technologies and then you basically get access to this resource vault direct lab ordering we're going to talk about labs we're going to talk about supplements uh, you also can have the option to work one-on-one with some of us as well um, we have like a vip offering for a limited number of folks and then but that really the 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 bones of this course are so fantastic because by the end you're building a, a blueprint and that's the preconception blueprint that we feel like we can so easily get this information out to a wider audience like it does not need to be kept in the container of a one-on-one 
appointments, more people, I want more people, we want more people to have access to this information. And, and so that's what we're doing. We want uh, people to feel like they have a blueprint that they know they can take one step and put it in front of the other, have a plan, feel like it's an evidence-informed plan, feel like they have that information to feel empowered, less anxious through the journey. And and we're excited. This is the first time we're launching, but it's been brewing for a long time. So I know it's been brewing. You're so passionate about this space. So it's so cool to see your vision kind of come to life and your knowledge just really helping so many women. And I know we're coming up on time, but I have I always love hearing people's like people examples or case studies, you know, because what you said really was interesting a little bit earlier where you said, let's say someone tries to get pregnant for six months, they go straight to IVF and you're kind of the in-between. I We don't talk about that enough because I actually have a lot of friends that are like, oh my gosh, four months in, I didn't get pregnant. I'm going to go to IVF. And I'm like, oh, is that what you do? So I don't know if you can maybe share one of your patients or a case study, but it's always just so empowering to hear from real life examples of someone in that stage? Yeah, I have so many. And actually this week was really wonderful because I had three patients reach out and say, you know, we've, we're pregnant. And those are always like wonderful days. It's like, okay, we're doing this. It's so exciting. And, you know, and I, and I also love it when I get to support on the other end after their pregnancies and the postpartum journey. But for example, for example, I do actually have quite a few referrals from IVF clinics. So people might be going to IVF already and have trouble because that's not a guarantee either. And so maybe they've had trouble with their transfers of their of their frozen embryos and the embryos didn't take for whatever reason, or maybe they've tried to produce a certain number, number of you know eggs and they're not getting quite the amount that they hoped for, or something's going that something's not going as planned in the process. So they, those might be referrals to me, um, or they've been trying and they are like, you know, there isn't in between and they come to me. So some of those examples might be, for example, we start focusing on their gut health. Maybe there are cases. And a lot of times this is the case where I'm thinking outside the box. So a lot of times my outside of the box thinking will apply in that environmental toxicant aspect or in like the gut health aspect and in kind of the overall, what are they taking and, and doing? Um, but so it's really multifactorial. Like it's people want to focus in often on like one thing that they need to do differently, but it's really like, we're going to take all of these ideas and put it together. And it's going to make the difference as a whole in terms of gut health. You know, what are the things that they're sensitive to? What is going on with their microbiome? Are they having any issues there? Are they, have, is there, are they do they have IBS or inflammation or is there some sort of signal there that that their, their gut is upset. If there's inflammation and there's an immune an immune aspect involved, that can very much influence things in terms of the body's ability to hold on to an, uh, a transferred embryo or conceive in general. So we try to bring that inflammation down through focusing on the gut, um, definitely wanting to look at the toxicant exposure profile, make sure that's reduced um, significantly as much as possible, and then also support them as much as possible with any other pieces that are missing in terms of nutrients or botanicals that might help. So, and knowing what's safe during this time too is important. So getting the information out there is going to feel really, really good. Oh yeah. So a lot of those cases who have been referred or who do choose the in-between to focus on this, they end up being able to conceive. And it's always like so reassuring and so, oh, so reaffirming, I should say, to see that like, oh, okay, they did the work and now they're, they're able to conceive um, as, as they had hoped. And so those are really heartwarming stories and they happen a lot. And I'm just, it's like, so of course, not every case, but it's, it's like more than, more than not. 
I love that. We get a very small taste of it at BIA when people say they've been using the seeds and it's been part of their preconception journey or they were like having trouble with fertility before and now they're pregnant and it's literally like a birthday party. It's the best (laughs) feeling. Yeah. So this course sounds really comprehensive and amazing. I know a few people that I want to share it with. So thanks for putting this together. We're going to be sharing all about it in the show notes to anybody who's interested. And thanks for being here. Thank you for having me again. Always such a joy. I love Bia. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.